0: city it's your man big pat the voice of your charlotte hornets and you're listening to the all hornets podcast network presented
1: by sports illustrated
2: welcome in to another episode of inside the hive i'm james pirate your host and joining me as he does every week chase whitney chase you've battled three man flu to make this podcast I appreciate it. Um, How have you been doing?
1: I was down bad for the last three days up until today that we're recording this, but I woke up this morning a little bit refreshed. My voice was much better than it had sounded the last couple of days, so that was definitely a good thing. I was not going to subject listeners to an hour of someone sounding like they were talking with their nose plugged, but we're all good now and we are ready to roll. I'm I'm through my uh, three-day illness here.
2: And we are recording this on, I think, the first day, basically, of the All-Star break, right? The Hornets on the back-to-back games, coming off wins against the Hawks and the Spurs, the streaking Charlotte Hornets right now. Um, I, what, are you, what are you doing? Are you going to be watching much All-Star festivities during the break? Are you going to be jumping into the college basketball? How are you going to fill your, your week of Hornets basketball here?
1: I'll probably do a little bit of both. I like the... All-Star weekend festivities, usually. I like the Rising Stars game, which is tonight, uh, Friday, when we're recording this. So by the time everyone's listening to this, that will already have happened. But the dunk contest and the three-point contest obviously have lost their luster a little bit over the last couple of years. But I think the All-Star game, the new picking teams, like right before the game format, will be at least interesting to watch and see if that works out and is something they're going to keep doing going forward. What about you?
2: Yeah, I have to say, like... The All-Star, I never really get that into it, if I'm being really honest. I I think it's a mixture of things. One, for me, like when I've got a week off, I'm like, oh, I can catch up on some sleep. Um, Yeah, that's definitely understandable. And the Hornets don't normally have much rooting interest. (laughs) So it's not normally like you're tuning in to see guys in the three-point contest, dunk contest, and the All-Star game. So I think i have just kind of like, I mean, literally, since I've been following the NBA, the Hornets, what they had, Gerald Walls in the dunk contest once, um they you know he made an all-star game played like five minutes Kembo obviously made a couple of all-star games and then out like outside of that it's pretty much been it um so I just kind of got used to not really paying it that much attention and it's quite like I would say that you know, the idea of all-star games is quite an American thing like it's not something in this in like in British culture that's really valued much or is that entertaining like uh, what, what I love is people like competing at their best and pushing each other and it's more like a celebration, like a fun celebration event, which I know that's what it's supposed to be, but I just I just I didn't find it as like attention grabbing as as normal NBA basketball. So yeah, I'm probably weird. I would much rather watch like the Charlotte Hornets against the San Antonio Spurs than watch the NBA All-Star game. And maybe that makes me just wrongly wide for most people.
1: I mean, I I I am with you. I would also rather watch pretty much any random regular season game than the all-star game but I, I i it's the uh the whole idea of like the nba's stars descend upon you know this city that rotates every year and they all gather for a weekend to celebrate and you all like the older players come and do stuff like that you have like the younger players and the rising stars and it's just like a gathering of you know current former and future all-stars which i think is the appeal um, behind it for who doesn't want to
2: go to salt lake city to watch Julie right Shandle exactly take part in the three-point contest that you know outstanding shooter as someone pointed out in my twitter timeline 10th uh, top 10 in three points is made oh right okay then yeah how can they leave him out
1: of course i mean you hey, if somebody is shooting 33.8 percent from beyond oh, the arc you you have to put them in the three-point contest uh I, I honestly like i do think that's obviously a bit of an oversight from the the nba i'm sure there are better shooters that they could have asked that would have been more willing to go but i'm sure there are also quite a few people that turned it down between the first person they asked and between julius well, Randle accepting the invite so as well
2: the way it works because there was there was an injury right someone pulled out with an injury that's why there was a space i think so the way it I works so. is they offer it to the all-stars first all right all stars who wants to compete in the three-point contest um, they've obviously done that probably like an order of like the voting, I'm guessing, because Anthony Edwards was out there saying, I want to do it. And he's like, if I'm an all-star, hopefully they'll let me. And he was an all-star, but he was an injury replacement. Whereas Julius Randall was put straight to the team. So I think like I would much rather watch Anthony Edwards in the three point contest. I think he's more deserving, but I think there's an element of politics there, which is where well, we have to ask the guys who are actual first time, all- oh, not first time, but actual all-stars first. And then like if Julius Randall had said no, then maybe Anthony Edwards would have been on the list. But like the fact that I don't understand why we just feel we have to give these all-stars first dibs on the three-point contest. Like my fi- my favorite times was like when Jason Capone was like, you know, winning back-to-back three point contests. That was great. And that's all he did in the NBA pretty much. Yeah. And like I just I just who wants to see Julius Randle? I just like, it why not, why not put
1: you to Watanabe in there? Like, or yeah, Isaiah but, Joe, like, two of the m- league leaders in three-point Yeah, yeah. Some like, Some, like, you know, le- like, less heralded player that could maybe, like, make a name for themselves, like Jason Capono, by winning this three-point contest yeah. this year.
2: But and, and equally, I don't know why Kai James isn't in the dunk contest. Another B- good point. We talked about this before. It's, it's not, not like, and it's not
1: like they have heralded players in the dunk contest no, either.
2: <laughs> no, what's a two-way player? Mac McClung is isn't isn't very, it?
1: very recent two-way player. He was yeah. he was a full-time G leaguer before like three days ago when he got converted.
2: And he wants to be in it. Kai Jones tweeted yeah. the other day, and we've been saying it for months. Um, and I just don't understand why. Like he's a showman as well. He's got like blue hair. I know that. I know Hornet fans got used to that, but like the general NBA fan, they'd be like, "Whoa, who's this guy? And like, cause he dyed his hair for the dunk contest. No, he just has blue hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's
0: right. That's what he
2: does. Um, so yeah. I, yeah. There's a couple of things also on weekend. I'll be like, this is just bizarre. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on to our topics conversation with this week. Um, two main areas to focus on. Uh, one, we are just going to go through the Mitch Kupchak press conference. And we've actually got some audio clips from the media availability, which we're going to play. And then we're going to offer some of our thoughts and reactions. Um, That was the press conference that he held. Well, it was was over the phone. It wasn't a full press conference. He was actually in France um, scouting a basketball player in Paris who he could not confirm or deny was Victor Wembenyama. And by the way, the game that Mitch, let's just say he went to that night, uh, I think Victor Wembenyama had like 29 points, 14 rebounds, and four blocks or something ridiculous. He had another outstanding game. Um, so we're going to be reacting to some of the comments in there, which I thought was a quite an eye-opening media availability. Um, and we'll, we'll get into the details. Then we're going to touch on just how some of the young guys have done, especially since the trade deadline. Mark, Bryce, Nick, who we've got to see on a little bit more extended minutes here. So that's our schedule for today. Um, I guess, Chase, before we start to kind of jump into the Mitch uh, kind of clips, what was like your overall... It's like, is it what you expected to hear from Mitch? I don't want you to reveal any details, but like the general tone and approach, was it just like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought, or or anything kind of stand out for you? Not what you list it in detail, but like, what do you think?
1: Yeah, it was pretty much exactly what I thought that we would be hearing after the deadline. A lot of the you know, reasoning that he goes into and a lot of the things that he details about the season are pretty much exactly what. I thought that from a GM's perspective, you would think, you know, have led to the Hornets being the way that they they are, I guess, up to this point and having to make the moves that they made at the deadline. So it it was like very par for the course. uh, Mitch Kupchak media availability for me.
2: Well, I disagree a little bit. So it'll be interesting to get into some of the detail here. So um, first up, the first cup we're going to play, we're just going to be... He was asked about the approach at the trade deadline. Um, it was the very first question he was asked, and we're going to play his answer here. And it was it was an interestingly worded response. So let's hear what Mitch had to say.
0: Trade deadline, you know, is not something that you know you don't spend a lot of time on. And then you know, an hour before the deadline, you know, you have to make decisions and decide what you want to do. You know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, right? There's a lead up. Um, Certainly, it doesn't get really, like, serious. And this year was probably not that different than most years. You know, it doesn't get really serious until the last day, right?
2: Okay, so there you heard Mitch Kupter talking. Um, His very first lines were, the trade deadline is something that you don't spend much time on. (laughs) uh i mean i have my own reasoning about why he why i think he said that and what i actually think he meant um but like do you agree like if you're a fan reading listening to that that's like just a really poorly worded answer no matter what you mean do you agree with that i kind
1: of i kind of agree with him to be honest like really it, it's yeah like it, it really isn't like not many teams are looking to like make over their roster like in the midst of the season and if you are it's probably for a bad reason like the Brooklyn Nets or something like that like they didn't trade KD and Kyrie because they wanted to and it was they had a sudden change of heart in early February like it was because both of them asked for a trade Uh, and like I think that he's, he's obviously hyperbolizing a little bit like you're not like the last hour or whatever he said like that's not actually like everyone picks up the phone at 2 p.m and is like all right let's go we got we got an hour to crank this all out but i definitely wouldn't be surprised if it's like mostly in the last like couple days is like when a lot of these deals like come together because what teams like outlooks can be for themselves going into the deadline literally it can change like in the days leading up to it like someone like like Dallas or Brooklyn or Phoenix like to keep going with that example like they're making much different approaches to the deadline knowing that they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and like Brooklyn in getting a bunch of young players and picks instead like you're going to make different trades on that day specifically since those things happened beforehand and that was only in the couple hours prior so that kind of changed like not the whole landscape of the league necessarily, but it definitely changes a lot and has like a big butterfly effect. So you kind of have to wait for a lot of these bigger dominoes to fall, which typically doesn't happen until like the couple days leading up to the actual deadline, rather than like the two weeks beforehand. Like when we saw like Noah Vonleh get traded to the Spurs for cash considerations in like January or something.
2: Yeah. So, so I actually agree with the point that you've made. Um, and I think, th- I think that's what Mitch was trying to say is that like the, the talks do not get really serious. And he said this in previous years with trade deadline, it's all close to the deadline, but like, just for like GMPR speak, I just don't think the very first line of like the trade deadline, when your team is the bottom of the East has had a terrible season, you, you, you know, like the fan base, the temperature of the fan base is going to be pretty hot, right? the first thing you say is, yeah, we, do, we don't, you don't spend a lot of time on the trade deadline. That like, I just think that's like, is, and this is where like, this will be a consistent theme throughout here. I think Mitch is like really like honest and speaks as if he was speaking to like, s- like a friend about the team, how he kind of speaks to the media, which is kind of refreshing, right? Because you don't always get just like the media trained answers and it makes it more interesting for me and you to talk about and for fans to read. But I sometimes do think, some of the quotes can then like I mean I saw some people pull out a quote on that online on social media and he liked did Mitch really just say he didn't spend much time on the trade deadline and you know you've got to hear it in context with the with the rest of the quote but yeah that that was my how I kind of thought he meant it and how it maybe came across a little bit so I want to try and talk people back from the the ledge there a little bit I don't think Mitch Kupchak is someone who just like doesn't pay any attention but it has been reported that the hornets aren't a very active team during the trade deadline they don't they don't make huge moves they did make two this year and they made moves a couple of years before but I know Jake Fisher said that when he came on our podcast before the trade deadline um so yeah that, that interesting one from Mitch here um next one we're going to go on to the impacts of injuries on the season and hear what Mitch Kupchak had to say about that
0: well first and foremost You know, and it's out of our control, and it's certainly not an excuse. But I'd like to start the season healthy and um, get through the season relatively healthy. That doesn't mean you're not going to miss a lot of games, you know, for injuries. But I think what we went through the first couple, three months, you know, was a little bit more than I think anybody expected. And, you know, something, we didn't react well to it. We're still a young, growing team, a little adversity you know, we could have, you know, reacted a little bit differently. You know, maybe won a couple more games. And from my point of view, you know, maybe the team's not deep enough to sustain um, some injuries, right? Other teams have injuries too. You know, Anthony Davis, right? He gets injured. Durant gets injured. A lot of guys get injured. And yet their teams are deep enough. So that kind of falls to me. Maybe next year you know, we need a deeper team in case this happens again. You know, we could, you know, withstand, you know, the injury.
2: Okay. Um, I, I'm going to lead off this one. Um, I thought that was a an interesting quote for a couple of reasons. Um, I think one, because Mitch Kupchak really took some responsibility there about building the team, saying that, maybe the team wasn't deep enough and that's my fault, uh, which it's rare that you hear a GM say that was my fault. Um, I, I, he didn't say it was solely down to that. I think he also said that, you know, we didn't react well to it. We're a, we're a young team and we could have reacted better. So I, I think what he's saying there, it's a combination of the players didn't handle, you know, the players who needed to step up didn't step up quite, quite enough. But then also, we were asking a lot for some of the young players to be able to do that. And, I mean, just on the depth of the team, coming into the year, I don't know if people would have said the depth of the team was, like, a huge issue. Uh, do you think now, knowing what we know, do you think Mitch Wright, do you think he he, he didn't fill out this team to be deep enough?
1: I mean, hindsight is definitely twenty twenty in that regard. So, I, I, obviously, he did not. Like, they did not withstand the injuries in a way that was in any way effective at all. Uh, But I, I don't, I agree. I don't think that was something that anybody really thought was like a huge issue going into the year. I think maybe that is because knowing what we know now that JT Thor, Kai Jones and James Booknight are all not really like bona fide rotation players. um, Then that that would mean that the team needed a lot more depth, but I don't think anybody knew that for a fact or thought that Mm -hmm. very strongly in, you know, like, September, October, when we were rolling into the preseason. So that has an effect on it as well. Uh, and also, I mean, just being injured the entire season, too. Like, of course, teams get injuries, everybody gets hurt. Certain teams withstand them in different ways, but the Hornets had like literally everyone get injured, and not that many other teams have had that same type of like injury scenario. I mean, well, even to this point right now, like Lamella Ball and Gordon Hayward have combined for 67 games played. The Hornets have played sixty games as a team, so that that's like that's a lot of missed games from two of your top players. Cody Martin has played like a handful of games all year, so a lot of top five, six rotation players missing like at least half the season, if not more. Which, I mean, I, I don't have any of these injury numbers like missed games uh, like off the top of my head, but the Hornets are definitely up in the upper echelon of the league in that regard.
2: So you're right; they are in the upper echelon, but they are by no means out there like Orlando has had way worse injuries than Charlotte and look where Orlando are right now um they are in like the top i would say the top kind of um 3 to 8 3 to 10 in terms of teams injured but they they are not like the one team that is way out with loads more injuries than everyone oh yeah definitely now, not i think a lot of the injuries have been to like their offensive creators which is has been difficult um but I think by now I, I kind of disagree a little bit and we'll, we'll get on to another quick later, but I, I don't think injuries are just to blame here. Like I, I think by just thinking that is the case, you're, you're maybe look, you know, looking at the glass a bit half full there. I, what I think is interesting is the Hornets fans want young players. We want young players, draft picks, right. You know, and everyone was angry about trading away, me included. And I still hate the trade to this day. And But but trading away that the uh, the thirteenth pick uh, in the Jalen Duran trade, um, because and Mitch Kupchak said like we wanted we didn't want to have too many young players on the team. Well, why didn't he want to have too many young players on the team for this reason? Right, like look how you can't have a deep roster with veteran guys who can come in and just like play and deliver wins in the NBA when people get injured, while also having a roster full of like first round picks from the last two, three years who it's very hard to have a roster that does both of those things. Like normally that's why you see NBA teams, they go one way or the other vet rosters or young developing rosters. So when Mitch says, this is that next year, maybe we need to be deeper. What I read that too. And tell me if you think this is right is that Mitch is not looking to have as many young players on the roster and is looking to have some more vets because if you're wanting to make a deeper squad, You don't go adding more young players or having the same number, at least. And now some of these young players will have naturally got older, right? And there will be more veteran players. But I think, like, just looking at this season, Mitch Kupchak would be very unlikely in the next couple of years to have any more young players than are currently on this year's roster. Do you think that's a kind of a fair uh, summarization of how you think he looks at it?
1: I think that that would definitely make a lot of sense. And this is all just coming to me right now as we're discussing this. So if you're from his perspective, I think that that definitely could be right. Because if you just consolidate a couple of the young players that are like end of bench, don't really play as much in the rotation, like JT, Kai Jones, Nick Richards, uh, James Booknight, even like Maladon or McGowan's, you can consolidate those that group of players into like two veterans. You add a top four or five draft pick probably uh to the rotation which of course you're adding a young player but that type of young player is much different than just adding someone that you drafted 28th mm-hmm. uh and being like oh can you be our ninth man this year uh even though you're not going to get enough minutes to develop and then we're going to rely on you because half the roster got hurt but if, if you're, it's the number four pick that's not really a problem so if you ro- are rolling into next year with Lamelo, terry gordon hayward pj washington mark williams Top draft pick, most likely, probably Miles Bridges, and then a couple veterans off the bench. From Mitch's perspective, like if you know or at least think that there's a high probability that that's what you're going to have, I, I definitely get the looking at this season and being like, if we just didn't get injured and have like a couple of other things happen, like we'd be in a much different place. And now next year we'll have a top draft pick, and then we have all these young players and more draft picks to trade now because uh, they got some seconds in return for the 13th pick trade uh, and also for Plumlee and McDaniels. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess from his perspective, it kind of makes a lot of sense to look at it like that. But I do I do agree that also he probably isn't looking to add more young players if he is looking at it from that perspective as well. Uh,
2: but this is the thing. Later in the interview, and I, I don't know if we've got one of the clips that says it, but he still talks about how they need to build through the draft, about that's their identity. as a small market they have to build through the draft. So he's saying the team needs to be deeper, but he's saying that they need to build through the draft. And I, th- those two things just like don't sit really well next to each other. And like, I know hard like I was very well, hard
1: to do both. It
2: is. And it's easier if you go quality, right? So like the, the Hornets have four picks in this year's draft. They're not going to add four rookies to this roster. No, no chance. Um, but I I think you can have like three or four young players, you know, in the first two years, of their deal, but at the minute, the Hornets have gone through the route of like having Nick Richards, J.T. Thor, Bryce McGowan's, Cody like Martin before he resigned. Like lots of guys, kind of which are role player, like role player, like high upside potential, like the best case to role players. And I think maybe what this could pivot to is more. Yes, we're still going to build through the draft, but we're going to try and consolidate and go after like one guy who is rather than sp- spreading our bets for two or three. I, j- I just wonder if that's the way this goes. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting there that he took that responsibility, and I, I think that's something we have to keep an eye out looking into next season when we're talking off season moves. Mitch Kupchuk wants to add depth to this team, so we need to we need to lock that thought away. Hey, we can we can lock it away here in the vault. Able to, to add a deeper roster going forward. Okay, let's move on to the next one. I'm I'm hoping that vault closing hasn't just lost where I'm up to in my Mitch Kupchak interview uh, playlist here. Um, But um, he talks a little bit about why Mason and Jalen were moved. Um, So let's let's hear what Mitch had to say.
0: Well, as, as good as Mason has been with us this last year in particular, our future is not with Mason Plumlee. Our future is going to be with our younger players. Okay, so that part's simple. With Jalen, it's a little bit more complicated. You know, he did get the opportunity because of injured players. I'm hoping, you know, next year that um, our players, in particular Gordon, right, is not injured. If Gordon is injured this year, then Jalen's not going to start 15, 20 games and play that many minutes. So if you're going to have Gordon, if you do like – you know, the players that we have coming up, maybe a JT or a Bryce, then you got to say, okay, well, the market's going to be such and such this summer. We've got these guys coming up. Uh, we hate to lose Jalen. But once again, you can't you can't keep everybody. So that part of it was a little bit more, was a little bit tougher, you know, to sort your way through. Um, and clearly we had information that, you know, you know you're not privy to. That helped us, you know, make a decision. Are oh, we are arguing into the season?
2: Okay. Uh, a long, a long quote there from Mitch. Uh, Chase, what jumped out to you about the, I mean, the the Mason point he made was pretty obvious, right? Our future is Mason Plumney. We all know that. But the Jalen McDonald's I thought was interesting. What jumped out to you?
1: Uh, I mean, the 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 last part was what really caught my eye, like the very, very end where he's like, we have like information that like you like the you that he's referring to, like the media, the fans, just the general public don't are not privy to like that leads me to believe that like maybe what like that's not necessarily like it's him addressing like what people on Hornets Twitter talk about or anything like that, but him just addressing like the idea that they could have gotten more back or something like that than they did uh that i've it probably i feel to me that's him being like we know like the market for these players and like obviously he's not taking a worse deal on purpose like that's not how anyone's job works at all in the nba so i mean i he's probably sifting through these deals and taking whatever the best one he can take and that is what the market presented to him uh even though that it may have seemed like you could get a lot more for like he said, like a career year, Mason Plumley, like Jalen McDaniels, someone you drafted and developed. And I, from what it sounds like someone you wanted to keep, but obviously he's right that you can't keep everybody, but to the same degree. Uh, I mean, I don't know. You can obviously resign players uh, to pretty much any contract that you want, as long as the owner ownership group is willing to pay a luxury tax. But, you know, that, that's a, that's a different can of worms, obviously.
2: Well, I thought that was also the most interesting thing, but I interpreted it completely different to you, which is again like significant. The way I interpreted that was that, may, you know, we have information that you are not privy to, as in we know that Jalen doesn't want to sign here in the summer. That's how that, I interpret I mean, that
1: it, that could very well be it too. That, I mean that yeah, probably it, makes it could be either way, right? much, if not more sense. Yeah, it
2: could, it could be either way, and he actually said elsewhere, late in the interview, he he. Pontificated, and he even said, "Like this isn't definitely." I'm just like I'm just speculating here. He was like, "What if Jalen is from the West Coast and he wanted to uh, go south west?" Which is something that literally me and you have talked about. I think in the when I said, "Like the only reason you would move him is if you got that intel," Um, and I I have the feeling that that's the the intel that they got that he was looking to to go out west, and for that reason. Um, he wanted to – they wanted to move off now. I think Think the other thing I took from it is that they see Gordon Hayward being on the team next year. They see him being the starting small forward. And they probably expect Miles Bridges to be back on the team as well, although I'll never say that yet. Um, and, like, is Jalen McDaniels even going to be in rotation where there is, like, Miles and Gordon playing a lot of the small forward minutes? And on top of that, again, you've got Bryce McGowan and JT Thor. Coming off the bench, who he listed as guys they like. So I think the way he was looking at it is resource allocation. Jalen McDaniels could be third choice small forward with J.T. Thor and Bryce McGowan's like improving behind him, and they're on much lower contracts, uh, like and are much younger. And he's not going to be in the rotation. So now is the time to capitalize on that like trade value and that he's basically kind of benefited from an opportunity to play and earn minutes and kind of gain trade value. Um, so yeah, I I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, I've, I've a feeling they had Intel that Jalen. He was not, he was not going to be back in Charlotte for the money that they wanted to offer. Okay. Next piece. And, um, I'm going to, I'm just warning you now. (laughs) Well, I, I'm going to have a little bit of a rant after this one. Um, so this Mitch could talked a little bit about kind of uh, the, the plan for the summer to re vets. And if they felt like the, the the roster needed a basically a shakeup. So let's see what Mitch had to say.
0: Next year with veterans, you know, it's going to believe, believe it or not, it's going to be right. Mello's third year, right? Um, we hope to be able to bring back some of our veteran free agents, if not all of them. So, um, Next year, you know, you got to be careful. This is one of those years that, you know, you really can't look at it and say, "Well, this is who we are," so let's plan accordingly. Okay, I'm not sure this year really shows, you know, where this team is and its growth, and maybe I'm wrong, right? But you know, a lot of the stuff that this team and the organizations had to deal with this year doesn't always happen every year. They're unique situations. So we've got to be careful not to overreact. Okay. So what I'm saying is um, if we had a couple, if we were healthy this year relatively and our team was intact and we had the season that we're having right now, you know something that that maybe you got to look to make a big move. Okay. So Mitch
2: Kupchak basically being the most patient man in the room. And this is where I'm going to go on my little spiel here because Mitch Kupchak is all in on everybody else being wrong. Because from that quote right there, he still believes in the score. He still believes in, the the team that they've built, the players that they've drafted. And there is not another analyst, former player, reporter, or, or would be hard pressed to find a Hornets plan who believes in that the injuries essentially to blame for this year and that we shouldn't overreact. I hope Mitch is right. You know, he knows the players, he's seen them, you know, their attitude, their approach, he's seen the potential the coaching stuff do. He is closest at the same time. We know GMs overvalue their own players. We know GMs overvalue their own strategy. You know, it's, he's not going to come on there and be like, I got it completely wrong. But I do worry here that he is living in a little bit of a fantasy land where, like, not overreacting. And he even says, maybe I'm wrong. If Mitch is wrong, then he is putting years of Lamella Ball as a Charlotte Hornet, which how many of those will we have? We don't know. But he is is going to be wasting multiple of them if he is wrong. So I hope he's not. I really do. But I have some major concerns right there that Mitch Kupchak is the only single person seemingly in the room in the world of NBA that still believes in what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm as far... Away from him as you are on that viewpoint necessarily, or as most people would be, because like I said earlier, I like there is a, a route to having like quite a bit of ammo going into you know this offseason or next season and being a pretty decent team. If you get a good draft pick, Miles Bird just comes back, everyone's healthy.
2: Like, look at the Toronto Raptors right now. OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Gary Trent Jr. Front Foundation. They're like 11th in the East last time I... Just, Like I I know that this team can be better, but like we're talking about a team who's not had a good defense, who's been a bottom 20 defense for the last four years in a row with the same core. And Mitch is here saying, I think this core has had a bad year, but I don't want to overreact. I mean, what about the last three years where we've seen this team has been unable to guard and stop anybody? And I don't see that improving with another year older Gordon Hayward with Terry Rozier paired next to the mellow ball defensively. Like, yes, Mark Williams you can point to. Yes, Miles Bridges coming back on the court would help the product, but it's not like Miles is some incre- incredible defender. Um, so I'm not overreacting to this year, but what about the two years before it, when they've got blown out in the playing game with the 10th seed with the same court?
1: And that's definitely fair. I mean, the players that they have now, really the only one that you can look to and be like, this guy is going to has either developed or would be able to improve a defense like next year when they're, you know, not going through this injury struggle and missing players and whatnot would be Mark Williams. But I mean, I, I like Mark a lot too. I don't know if he's that type of like transformational defensive anchor yet anyway, at least, but I mean, I, I can't, I wouldn't be surprised if he even he, he could be a very good center and still never quite get to that level of like a defensive player. It's very difficult to be that good and that impactful uh, as one player in a a team sport. But yeah, I mean, I, I do. I just think that the only thing with the defensive problems is that a lot of the, the, and that, I think that's what he's referring to with the big move as well at the end is like, yes, like they have been like lackluster on both ends of the court this year, but especially defense, they've been bad pretty much, the entirety that this core has had like control of the team and made up like most of the rotation. But I just don't think that like there's necessarily going to be any market improvement unless you make that big move uh, anyway for any team. Like how many teams draft all like four or five players that they start and all of them are good two way players. It's pretty much every team needs to do like some sort of consolidation trade. I think the Hornets would have been doing that like at an earlier date if not like this season at the deadline if they didn't have all of these like extenuating circumstances that went into and, it, and
2: right? this is my kind of concern the extenuating circumstances you can look at this sideways and go well look at the mal situation a new coach look at the injuries this isn't this isn't a real reflection that those extenuating circumstances could also be covering up the, the issue which is still there, which you can lean on those extenuating circumstances and those unique situations and and like not see, like, if you see the wood through the trees, like, this, outside of Kelly Oubre and Cody Martin, you know, probably, like, your, your sixth, seventh man, I would say, like, on this roster, have not been available. But they've had, like, the good core of guys playing fairly regularly now for the last two or three weeks, and they just lost to, like, the Bulls, Wizards, Magic, and Pistons in a row with with most of those guys and that's that's uh, those are the kind of little stretches where you've got everyone back and you like I, I still have this year's reflection but I also don't think you can look at this and go it's fine we're going to be back to being a playoff team next year I think it's somewhere in the middle and and maybe that just didn't come across necessarily in that statement from Mitch, but I I just hope they don't view it that too much that way. I I think they need to have a realistic view on where the team is at. Okay. Um, Coming on to our last couple of clips now. um, Interesting. Mitch talked about some of the challenges they face in the past in terms like free agency, when he first arrived, arrived in Charlotte. And I thought this is an interesting clip to listen to while keeping our kind of next couple of off seasons in mind. So let's hear from Mitch.
0: You know, when I got to Charlotte, you know, we had, I don't know, four or five contracts that were, that all went out three and four years. And it, it made it difficult, you know, for us to navigate and get through, you know, uh, the first two or three years and kind of wean ourselves away from those contracts we got to be careful that we don't put ourselves in that same situation. P- on paper.
2: So Mitch, there talking about freshly contracts. He's he's talking about the contracts of Cody Zeller, Cody Zeller, Marvin Williams, Michael Kid gilchrist Nick Batum, um, which he inherited. So, what do you think in terms of that approach from Mitch?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's right that the Hornets are not ever going to be a team that's like luring players in with their cap space at least not in a consistent basis maybe in like a one-off situation uh there's like a good fit player that wants to play in Charlotte or with somebody that's on the Hornets that fits into a salary slot or something but and i think that that's a later in the or in that throughout that press conference he refers to like Gordon Hayward being like oh we were we had a chance to sign a big free agent a couple of years ago we did that yeah. and there we go that And like that, I feel like that type of like, it's like, we're only going to take like, calculated splurges, I guess, like we're not just going to go in every single year, because the Hornets are likely to have cap space, like pretty much every single year, uh, and just try and pay as many people uh, as possible, like, they're going to try and make it at least be like the right players and people that they want to have around for multiple years at a time, whereas... At least in his view, the players that he inherited were not players that they wanted to keep around for many years at a time. And they were just given contracts kind of to use the cap space that the Hornets had at a given time, which obviously you need to use a certain amount of cap space. But you don't going into a, a summer with $30 million, you don't have to sign a player that makes $30 million. Like you can, you can wiggle, you have some wiggle room there. And I think that's what he's mostly referring to.
2: I agree. I agree with that. Okay. Let's, let's move on. He's going to talk a little bit more about uh, free agency now for this. stuff.
0: And, you know, even though it may look like you're under the cap, you're not really under the cap. Um, I think I've said it a bunch of times. I don't look at us as our team at our team um, as a team that hoards cap room so that we could go into the free agent market and pursue Free agents, right? Uh, We did that once a couple years ago, and, uh, you know, we ended up landing a big free agent. But I don't think that's, you know, something that we can bank on as a small market team. I just don't. Um, The way we're going to get better is through the draft and player development. And then, you know, if we get lucky, make a couple of savvy trades right now every now and then you might be able to get into the free agent free agent market and and get a player and i'm hopeful you know down the road a little bit that we can become a very attractive team even for a small market and maybe we can get a big fish
2: Okay, so Mitch talked a little bit more there. I think the most interesting thing to me there is he said, like, down the road, we might look to kind of go back into free agency, um, which, again, suggests that that is not on the horizon for the next two years because you basically got Gordon Hayward expires next summer, but then as soon as he expires, you're paying the ball ball, And I think I, – I don't think Mitch wants to lock this team in to a team – until they know and like until they have a really good sense that this is the core that can take us forward. And I think until that's the case, there's going to be a lot of functionality. There's going to be a lot of kind of like, uh, you know, letting guys like Malik Monk go. Like if, if we don't think Malik Monk is the starting two guard, then we don't want to pay free agency money to retain him because like, that's just not going to fit our roster and it's going to make it more difficult for us. So it's more of the same, build through the draft, build through trades. I don't feel a sense of uh, impatience that maybe the fan base feels. You know, Lamelo is going into his fourth year; he's going to turn down the extension. I, I don't. This doesn't sound like someone who has that level of impatience. Okay. You know, he's been around the game a long time, and I know for a lot of Hornets fans, this last couple of years it started off to be fun with the play-in. Last year was less fun. This year has been disaster. I think Hornets fans have got their hands all over the panic button. Mitch again is showing here; they are not in a rush. He does not. He's not speaking like a GM who is working for his job here for this summer. I I don't think much is going to change in their approach, and I just think Hornets fans need to be ready for that. Okay, that's everything here from Mitch. Um, I, curious, you'd read the. Uh, media availability before you heard some of the clips did did it come across any different when you listened to it because that would be the same for a lot of our listeners because I don't believe anyone's published the audio uh the full audio uh, elsewhere
1: yeah it did come off a little bit differently mainly the quotes about uh like the Plumlee and McDaniels trades and this last one that we we're just listening to uh, mm. about free agency like the tone I guess is a little bit more telling than if you were just just to read it as plain text in your you know, like subconscious voice uh, hearing it in Mitch's Mitch's own voice makes it a lot more, you know, makes you know, you know what he's, what he means when he's saying a lot more than if you were to just read it on a piece of paper.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's have a quick break Hear from our friends at DraftKings, and then we're going to come back and talk about some Hornets young players. NBA fans. It's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers get a no sweat same game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in and place the same game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus back. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can get $5 on the NBA And get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NBA. With code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Welcome back to Inside the Hive. Um, Thank you for listening to our friends at DraftKings. If you haven't already, by the way. uh, Give us a 5 star review on Apple Podcasts. Go check out allhornets.com for the latest game previews, recaps, in-depth articles, everything like that, covering the NBA. Um, We're going to be talking some Hornets young players. Uh, Chase, I'm going to throw it over to you. Who do you want to start with? You you mentioned to me Nick, Bryce, and Mark. Um, I will open the floor to you. Uh, I'll add that uh, I was away for the the last previous weekend, so I did not see the Boston game or the Denver game. Uh, I was on a trip down to London, which was very enjoyable, but so I missed a couple of the, the, basically, Mark's first two games, but I did catch the Hawks and Spurs game. Um, so I'm not working on a full deck of film here since the trade deadline. I'm about 50% of the way there, uh, which is rare for me because I'm normally up to date. But uh, Chase, where do you want to start?
1: I mean, I think we should just start with with Mark Williams here. He's Hopefully, this is the beginning of a long tenure of Big Mark at the five as the starting five for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I mean, I think the general consensus is probably pretty positive. Uh, I, I personally think he's been pretty good so far as well. Uh, I didn't watch the Boston game either. Uh, I, wa- I watched the the Denver game, but the wins are more fun to talk about anyway. So we can just focus more on the the Hawks and Spurs games. This little, uh, the smooth little two game win streak, uh, which is that that is a, a term that has entered my lexicon starting this season. Two game <laughs> is not a win streak. That's not a win streak. But for the Hornets, it is when you have only won 15 of your 60 games or 17 or whatever it is, two games is a win streak. But I, I, I digress. Uh, Mark has been really good. He's still an efficient finisher, uh, which I think is the the overarching theme with Mark so far has been that the things he was good at in college have completely translated already. Uh, not that to say that he like dominates anybody or anything like that, though he has had some pretty dominant stretches uh, on the interior there. But. His soft soft hands around the rim, really good touch. Uh, he's really strong. He can he tries to dunk like pretty much everything that he can is, that is within range. Uh, he's aggressive on on the rebounds on the boards on both ends. Uh, you can already tell that he has like a palpable chemistry with Lamelo in the pick and roll. Um, and something I've really come to like is the dynamic of like how many ball screen actions or what you can do out of like p- uh, pick and roll or a ball screen with. Both Mark and PJ Washington on the floor. You have a great roller, and Mark, you have a pick and pop threat. PJ is a pretty good roller as well. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, if you want to run like a Spain set, Mark can just completely bruise people with screens, too. Uh, he's been really good at defense, though. Obviously, I think for young Biggs, that's a much more inconsistent thing uh, than yeah, being like I- a good finisher. Really, but, I mean, really
2: really, good, I'll push back on in a minute. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I, he's had really good flashes, I, I guess I should say. Um,
2: and I think that's how Steve Clifford said the other night. I thought he summed it up perfectly after the uh, Spurs game. And he said this about both Nick and Mark. He said, they both have fantastic defensive moments because of their size and their athleticism. Uh, you know, they have incredible moments. Uh, but it's like, until, like, he talks... Is exactly how an Eastern communicates with his team. Like, this team is going to struggle to basically defend with him on the floor. And that's the hardest thing, I think, for fans, unless you're courtside, like, which, uh, you know, not many of our listeners will probably be able to afford that. But that's if, if that's you not... are,
1: reach out to us and, and yeah. let us know.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, unless you're courtside, that's hard to see and come across. But I think Steve Clifford said he'd said during the Spurs game, Mark, if you are one second late on your talk, they're going to put you in pick and roll all night. Until you can effectively communicate, and I think you, you saw it. Like, I know he finished the Hawks game with that incredible position in Trey, which was again just fantastic, unteachable uh, possession. He also got carved up all night by King Capella and Trey Young in the pick and roll like, absolutely carved up. Um, if you look right now, the, the, the unit of Lamella Ball, Terry Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, and Mark Williams has played 147 possessions. They have a defensive rating of 135.4 per 100 possessions. That is That would be the first percentile in the NBA for defense. So we're talking about a team that has got significantly worse with Mark Williams playing at the five defensively. In these in these four games, four games, not long. I just want to point that out, people. Offensively, they've been pretty good, 121 points per 170th percentile. But I, I think the, the flashes have been brilliant. He's done plays that we've not seen a Hornet center to be able to do and influence shots around the rim. Um, you've seen Lamello sets throwing more alley-oops at the pick-and-roll, something that's really dropped this year until Mark Williams is coming. So I think I- I'm, like, really happy with how he's, he's not – had. I don't think he's played that well. And I look up, he's got, like, 14 points, six rebounds, and three blocks. And I'm like, yeah, he could have played way better. <laughs> so – I've, I've been happy. I've been impressed. I also think there's a long, long way to go. Um, but I think he'll get there because I think he's smart. I think he's coachable. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's going to be a, a really high upside starting defensive anchor for this team. But it's all the things that aren't blocking shots is where he's got to improve. It's the talk. It's the positioning. It's letting his guard know where he needs to be. Those are the things that he needs to to focus on, and they're the hardest things to quantify. It's not a stat that tells you that, really. Apart from like your how your team defends when you're on the floor, which right now is not good.
1: Yeah, and I I do I am glad that it has worked out. For the most part, it's been pretty good for Mark so far. I think that the fan yep. base view of him is pretty positive, and it, it, especially looking at it from the lens of like the Hornets traded away from Jalen Duran and kept Mark Williams if Mark had happened to come out flat while well, Jalen Duran is putting up like pretty crazy numbers for Detroit, the fan base perception of him could have soured like pretty quickly. So that's definitely good. that He that, could have been
2: James Wiseman. He, could,
1: he <laughs> certainly could have, uh, but I I'm mean, and, no, definitely not. Not even close, but it's, it's definitely good that that worked out that way. Cause it, it could have gone, gone sour pretty quickly given how, how sour everything else has been this year too.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Nick Richards. Uh, uh unless you had anything else on Mark, anything else on Mark, do you wanted to raise? No, no but, yeah, let's move all. on. Nick Richards. Um, like I have to say, I don't feel he's impactful as impactful as he was earlier in the season. Um, he's like, especially the offensive rebounding just seems to have really dropped off. Like he was a beast offensively and that's just seems to have gone. I, I wonder if part of that is about getting back and transition defense and, um, he did have a good game, I thought. that He protecting the rim, apart from one blatant goaltend against the Spurs, which was just hilarious. Um, I have to say, Nick hasn't shown me when, when Mitch is talking about not being able to pay everyone in free agency and what's his role going to be in this team. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, they looked at it and went, "We need to get a vet to." Kind of backup, Mark, rather than have Mark and Nick as the two bigs going forward. I, th- I think he's an NBA backup center, but thoroughly unremarkable. I wouldn't say he's really come on a lot during the year. He still has too many possessions which he gives away through bad fouls, offensive screens, like you know, um, and offensively, he's pretty limited in his in his skill set. More so, so I, I think he's been perfectly fine. But I don't think he's really taken grasp the opportunity, and he's showing us something that we didn't see before.
1: I completely agree. I was thinking the exact same thing when we were when I was doing my notes before this discussion. I just don't. He seems like he has kind of just steadily dropped off since the beginning of the year. He had like I think it was nineteen and ten with like. it it was eight offensive boards on the first game of the opening night, the first game of the year against the Spurs. He had five offensive rebounds in the third game of the season. Uh, I mean, but he has not had a game with more than five since December. So like, it seems like it's just been steadily kind of dropping off the production. And I I also completely agree. He is a backup center. Like he he's proven that already, even though it's been like only two thirds of a season, I think he's perfectly capable in like most teams and systems he could slide right in play 12 to 18 minutes get you some rebounds some block shots finish around the rim uh and be perfectly fine for like a a replacement level backup center uh but i i think i'm on the same boat as you with i you might just need a different dynamic behind mark as well not necessarily like even that it has to be like a veteran player or just like a player with more like defensive acumen i guess but Mark and he's and Nick. restricted.
2: Nick is unrestricted, yeah. right? So
1: yeah, well, you know, no, good. I think he's a restricted free agent. Oh, here. is he restricted? Yeah. He oh, is. so apologies. Um,
2: uh, he's he's restricted free agent. So uh, there is chance that he comes back at like a, you know, he doesn't sign. I don't think any team's going to sign Nick to like a big offer sheet. I just, no, I, 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 can't I can't see that happening. That. Um,
1: I was I was thinking this uh, the other day because Charles Bassey just signed a deal with uh, the Spurs. Yes, I think he did. His next contract will be very very similar to that. It was like a four-year, ten-point something. Uh, The first two years were fully guaranteed. The second or the last two years were fully non-guaranteed. I imagine Nick's contract will be like very, very similar to that. Maybe a little more money, like twelve million or thirteen million or something like that. But uh, it's similar structure. I I would bet. And are the Hornets going to do that if they didn't want to pay like Jalen McDaniel's, who would obviously would be making more money than that himself? Yeah.
2: well, it, it all depends to what they can get at the in yeah, the yes. centre market. I think Mark will start. That's the key. Um, so they'll be looking for a backup big, and it's like the, the the list of backup bigs is not good this summer. It's like Mason Plumley, Nerlens Noel. <laughs> yeah, like, the free
1: this, agent market in general this this summer is yeah like really
2: recycled cool. names who are not exciting anybody. Um, you know, the only other thing is that they can get some of the trade markets. So I, I don't think he's buying means. I think he's like a perfectly good op like. A perfectly respectable option, but he's—I don't think he's getting me excited. He's not shown anything yet since the the trade deadline, but there's still there's still time left, and maybe we'll finish the season strong. Um, I I have to give you Bryce, so let me let me hand it over for you for Bryce McGowan's.
1: All right, as the sole proprietor of Bryce McGowan's Island, uh, I mean, we're finally here. This is this is exactly what I thought. No, not exactly what I thought this is exactly what I hoped uh would be happening uh right now he is, seems like he's in the rotation right now would you say that he's like firmly in the rotation or do you think it's more a product of like Kelly Oubre and Cody Martin being injured uh, well and... yeah
2: I, th- I think if they were healthy he wouldn't be I think that's yeah to right say. but he is in the rotation at the moment I would agree with that
1: Yeah. Okay. So it seems like he's going to be playing like pretty significant minutes until one, if not both of those guys come back. Uh, he had 11 points, uh, in the game against the Spurs. He has been a pretty good three point shooter this year, which has been the thing that I've been most impressed with. The first step has translated. He's a good ball handler. He finishes pretty strong around the rim. He's a very coordinated finisher, all of that stuff, uh, which was what like really sold me on him as a prospect in general uh he hasn't been getting to the line like a ton i think he took four free throws against the spurs but um that would that was the thing that i thought would kind of translate like right away but um i've made it seems like he might just need a little bit more time to get used to like the speed and the physicality of the nba before that really like bears itself into like box score stats but i definitely think he's good at getting by his defender getting to the rim picking his spots and stuff like that he seems like he's you know like a a part of the offense, I should say, rather than like a rookie kind of just like searching for his way. And like, whenever he gets the ball, just like trying to make something happen. Like he seems like he's more poised, I guess, uh, than a lot of other young guards have been uh, when we've watched them play for the Hornets uh, in the last like handful of years. So yeah, I've, I've been very impressed. Obviously was kind of hoping that this would happen and definitely thought that there was a strong chance that it happened more so uh, than any other, i guess hornets fan supporter or bryce mcgowan's watcher so what about yourself
2: yeah i thought there was a phase probably before like maybe the last couple of games where um and i I think he had a really good game in the boston game maybe i want to say i have a feeling but i I thought before he played played really
1: good defense in that game in that boston game
2: yeah before before the trade deadline i thought he was being being a little bit passive when he was on the floor like coming in, not wanting to take shots away from anybody. Um, and I, I was like, "Like, we need you, Bryce. Like, That's one of your strengths, one of the things you're good at. If you're out there and you're not looking to score, then I don't know if you've quite developed enough in those other areas yet to have an impact. But I think we've begun to see that a little bit more recently, which is good. Um, I thought he was really good in the first half against the Spurs, uh, not just scoring the ball, but like defensively he took a charge, which is good to see. You don't see many Hornets players doing that dove on a loose ball, had active hands, draw an offensive foul, was just like generally good on both ends. Um, so yeah, I, I think generally with like Mark, Nick and Bryce, I've been like happily seen, like they've all done well enough, probably like Bryce and Mark more so than Nick, like have, have done good enough, but haven't amazed me, haven't made me rethink my evaluation of either of them. I don't think at this stage of what I had. Um, but have been overall pretty solid. The one thing I will say, Chase is, even if Bryce plays in every game for the rest of the year, that will put him at 48 games, which means the Hornets don't actually have to convert him to be a two-way because he can play up to 50, right? Well,
1: it's uh, yeah, it's active. So if he's active for 50 oh. games, yeah, okay, yeah, it's, it's well, the, then he probably is reaching out the, then, Yeah, no, he's definitely very, very close already Uh because he's played in 26 games. He's definitely been, active he's been for inactive more. for. Yeah. One, two, three, about 10 games he's been inactive for. So he's got to be very much pushing 50 right now. So we'll see how that goes. Because the, the Clippers just waived Moses Brown from his two-way uh, because he reached the active games cap on his contract. And now yeah. they have an open two-way spot to fill. And so. the
2: Hornets have an open roster spot um, yep. from the Reggie Jackson-Mason Pummy trade because they waived Reggie Jackson straight away. Um and you know, so that will be pretty much for him, which is which is good to see. It'll be interesting to see what sort of contract they sign him to, right? Because he's on the two way, being converted. If they'll be able to get like, how many years they'll be able to get him, the ideal would be the four years second round pick, kind of like similar to I think that's what like Vernon Carey Jr. got when he was in Charlotte, he got like a massive second round pick one. Um, but I wonder if him or his agent will be pushing for like something shorter so we can get on the free agent market. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think Bryce has, been, Bryce has been good. I just hope he keeps being confident and looking for a shot with that second unit. Um, Last thing before we get out of here, because we've not talked about a Hornets player who played his very first game for Charlotte and was actually pretty effective, Svi Mikhailuk. Um, who I think a lot of people thought would be getting bought out, is actually on the team in the roster and played really well in his first game. Not really well, but he played well. Um, with an alley dunk being his first points, hit a couple of threes, had another backdoor cut for a dunk. Svee um, Mikhailuk, is this just going to be like 20 games of seeing Svee every now and then, and then he's going to disappear? Do you think there's anything more to this, Chase?
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly what it's going to be. He'll, he'll play <laughs> every... So Every so often, I think, uh, going down the stretch here for the next couple of months. But I, I'm surprised that he didn't get waived. Like, not and the, not anything to do with his, his skill level as a basketball player or anything. I just didn't think the Hornets would be... I, like, I figured that they'd rather waive him and then take Maladon and McGowan's off the two-way. Sign mm-hmm. two players, new two new players onto the two-way. Just kind of overlap it like that, but... I mean, whatever, whatever works, obviously. I mean, he, he did play well, and he he can definitely shoot. So, a wh- a wh- okay. Savi Mikhailuk is the blank best shooter on the Hornets right now.
2: Oh, well, he's behind Lamello. He's behind Terry. Um, he's probably ahead of Gordon. Oh, PJ, I'd say he's pretty close with PJ. Um, he's not shot the ball in the last couple of years. That's been his problem. He was 34% in OKC, 31% in Toronto. He barely played at the Knicks. Um, I think you'd probably have to give PJ the nudge. I'd say fourth best. Fourth best behind PJ, Lamelo, and Terry, unless I've forgotten someone and I'm going to look really stupid with that. Um, That's what I'm going with.
1: Yeah, I would probably say fourth or fifth. I think if you put them in an empty gym, he'd probably beat Gordon Hayward in a shooting contest, but in a game, I'd probably rather just give Gordon Hayward like an open shot than him, but... I mean, that's that's pretty good still. I mean, being a the top five shooter on the team, like right when you join the roster and are like an end of bench guy. So it's yeah. pretty good. That's that's, um, a, that's a valuable skill.
2: I will say I'm actually really happy he is on the team because um, he is one of the very few Ukrainian basketball players. We all know what that country is going through. And the longer he is in the NBA and he can draw awareness and like, you know, he is – will have family and friends who are caught up in the awful shit that is going on with Vladimir Putin and his corrupt fucking country. That's Russia. Sorry. Pardon my French. I feel very strongly on the subject. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's on the team. I'm looking forward to, I'm, I'm hoping at some point, like he might give to a bit of an interview on that. Cause I've not seen anything from Spi. Um He doesn't look like to be a guy who necessarily talks a great deal. Um, but i'd be i'd like to hear his story on like you know how he connected to it and and everything like that um because i'd still blow to my mind that in 2023 we literally have war in europe i mean what we're we doing here uh, it's not the freaking 1940s and world war Two. um anyway we're not going down the history lesson here f- to finish the podcast but i'm happy that he's on the roster i'm happy he's still in the nba and look he played well the other night um uh and you never know might emerge as a a clifford guy i i think he could if he plays well down the stretch here and like steve clifford loves him it wouldn't shock me if they brought him back like next year in a training camp deal something like that if they like him and let him work out in charlotte over the summer and see how it goes so okay anything else to finish on before we get out of here chase
1: i don't think so we'll let everyone go on their merry way i suppose
2: yeah well everyone enjoy your all-star week break from hornets basketball We will be back with you in the next couple of weeks. Got a couple of interviews working on uh, currently, um, which, uh, yeah, we'll bring you more details, looking at trying to get some other Hornets podcasters and content creators on to maybe have a bit of a debate-style podcast. Also looking at having uh, one of the probably well-known and loyal Hornets fans there is uh, to to come on the podcast um, to talk to us about his experience this year and also... Uh, talk us a little bit about his experience the Charlotte NBA games compared to other arenas because he's been to a ton of other NBA games. And I actually met him in Vegas as well when I went to summer League. So a couple of guests coming up in the second half of the season here. Um, we're going to keep the podcast coming all the way down the stretch. Then we'll be going into draft work. So thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you next week.
0: See you guys.